opinions expressed on I Care Out Loud are mine and those of my guests. They should not be considered the opinions of either Ocular Surgery News or Slack Incorporated, although you and I both know they should be. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Daryl White. Welcome back to I Care Out Loud. This is where we know what you're thinking, but we're just willing to say it out loud like to talk a little bit about unnecessary care and we can define that lots of different ways and I'll define it in a bunch of them. Let me start off as I always do by talking about conflicts of interest. Here I have none. This is just something that we all face and certainly nobody is paying me to talk about this or think about this. Heaven knows people are trying not to pay me uh, when I talk about this or think about this. Unnecessary care is something that seems to be a really big deal in the minds of policymakers and bureaucrats in the government, and it absolutely is a big deal thing in the bowels and basements and dungeons of all the health insurance companies in the United States. It's probably best that we start with definitions. I always find that if I define the things I'm going to talk about or define the things that I'm going to have a conversation about. And if I agree with the definitions that we've laid forward or laid forth, the conversation tends to go better. We seem to be talking about the same thing. So what's unnecessary care? Unnecessary care or medically unnecessary care from a clinical standpoint is that care which would not alter the health outcome for the patient who might receive it. Worse, unnecessary care is that which might unnecessarily harm a patient, whether or not there's a benefit if the likelihood of harm is greater than the likelihood of a beneficial health outcome. Now, what's unnecessary care or not medically necessary care in the real world setting? It doesn't really have anything to do with clinical stuff, does it? It has only to do with economics, or for the most part, it has only to do with economics. Every time you or one of your colleagues is accused of providing unnecessary care, it's really a case where somebody doesn't think that they should pay for it. Now, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it's not every time, but for sure, this is the majority of the time when we're being told that it's unnecessary care or not medically necessary. If we take a quick look at those areas where we probably agree, everything that's refractive, everything that is a refractive service that we as ophthalmologists provide is deemed not medically necessary by almost all of the various and sundry health insurance companies with whom we deal. If you want to correct somebody's astigmatism, whether you use a limbal relaxing incision with a blade, a limbal relaxing incision with a femtosecond laser, a toric IOL, or laser vision correction of some sort, it's not medically necessary, and so therefore it's not paid. What your patient gets back if they inquire is that it's unnecessary care, medically not necessary. It's really just a financial consideration, isn't it? Woe be unto those who defy this and try to bill for unnecessary care. 
you can be on the firing line, on the receiving end of all kinds of horrific things, especially if, heaven forbid, you do this on a patient who has some sort of government-insured policy like Medicare or Medicaid. I think the best example of this is an ophthalmologist who's long since retired and has long since passed away in Vermont. His name was David Chase. Dr. Chase was accused of doing unnecessary cataract surgery. Dr. Chase was doing basically what all of us were doing. He was using as a vision justification for cataract surgery, vision which was 2050 or worse, in some type of vision testing. Snell and vision testing, of course, but Dr. Chase was also using reduced contrast sensitivity as well as brightness acuity testing. The insurance company in Vermont rejected that. Several patients sent in complaints to the Vermont Medical Board accusing Dr. Chase of doing unnecessary care, and he was then audited. They looked at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases, and every time he used a brightness acuity test or a contrast sensitivity, that was a negative mark against him, and he was forced to defend himself in front of the medical board in the state of Vermont. Now, ultimately, he prevailed, but the experience was so taxing that he relinquished his license and retired only then to be forced to defend himself in several dozen medical malpractice cases where a group of plaintiff's attorneys used the adverse action, not adverse result, but adverse action against him. So he spent the last several years of his life defending himself against charges of unnecessary care, despite the fact that everything he did from a clinical standpoint would fit right in with what we do in our office all the time. Full disclosure, I knew Dr. Chase in medical school. He was very kind to me when I was in school, and I knew him during his prime. So I think about this, and I think about unnecessary care, and I think about how horrible it would be to be on the receiving end of the charge that you were providing unnecessary care. There are lots and lots of instances where one would be vulnerable to this charge. And I'd like to tell you about a story where I provided what many outside of our practice and anybody who didn't delve at all below the surface would look and say that I had done unnecessary care. I had provided unnecessary surgery. Let me set the stage. I am in private practice, as you know. Many of my staff members have been with me for a very, very long time, and one in particular, Lenora, is a technician, and Lenora has been with me for 25 years now. Lenora, in some ways, is the conscience of our practice. She's intensely loyal to every patient who walks through the door. That loyalty is directed toward the patients with a degree of two orders of magnitude greater than any loyalty that she shows to me, and she's intensely loyal to me. She came up to me one day in the office and handed me the chart for a patient I was about to see. We were using SRS as our EMR at the time, and we actually did high-speed scanning, so I actually got a piece of paper. But she handed to me face down, and she said, I want you to promise me that you will listen 
to the entire story before you make your decision, I think that we should say yes. Now, that's rather cryptic. It's also rather Lenora. And I chuckled and went into the room. And in the room was a very frail woman in my exam chair and two family members. And right at the top of the chart, it said that my patient, I'm going to call her Antoinette. It's not her real name. And by the way, the family has given me full permission to tell this story. I'm just going to choose not to use their names. But they've given us written permission to tell this story. And so Antoinette was sitting in the chair, and the very first thing in her chart was that she was in end-of-life comfort care only hospice care. She had a terrible cancer and was certainly going to live no less than a month. And the note from the hospice nurses was that it was unlikely that she would really live much more than two weeks. Now, we had seen Antoinette in the past and hadn't seen her for a few years because she'd been so sick, and I knew that she was a monocular patient. She had had a surgical complication in her right eye elsewhere, and that's how she had come to me years ago for a second opinion. And Antoinette had a very large cataract in her left eye, her only seeing eye. And I examined her, and her vision was count fingers, three plus, four plus dense posterior subcapsular cataract. And she was roughly Plano, really not much prescription. And there was nothing that we could do to make her see better with a pair of glasses. And the family was asking me to take her cataracts out. Now remember, she's expected to live no more than a month. Cataract surgery has been justified for many, many years because of the huge increase in quality of life that patients gain when they have the surgery. This increase is multiplied especially over the years that a patient lives. And I can't remember ever seeing a study where cataract surgery was deemed to be not a net benefit when we look at quality of life years gained. But we didn't even have months to gain here. And my first thought was no way. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to do this. How can I possibly do this without being in front of the firing squad, as it were, for having done unnecessary care? How is I going to be able to say that this is medically necessary when I know that she is receiving end-of-life comfort care only hospice care. It's all over her chart. I can't hide it. I can't pretend it wasn't there. I wouldn't do that anyway. And I did what Lenora asked me to do. I just listened. I listened to Antoinette and I listened to her daughters. And I said, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to spend a day of your life? Because it's going to be a whole day given your frailty that you're not going to really be in circulation. I'm going to see you first thing in the morning. I'm going to do your surgery. And then you're going to have a clear shield over your eye. And you're going to come back and see me the next day. So that's a day. I mean, that might be one thirtieth of your remaining life. And the patient said, I can't see my family. I can't see my people. I can't tell who's with me. And all I have left 
is my people. All I have left is time to be with my family and my loved ones. I can't tell who's in the room until they speak. I can't tell who's coming to see me. I can't tell who's sitting around me if they're not speaking. And some of them are people I haven't seen for a very long time, and I might not recognize their voices. All I want is all the time I have left to be with my family. Oh, oh my goodness. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. The daughters are crying. Lenora is crying. And I can't speak because I don't want to cry. And so I said to Antoinette and her family, here's my challenge. I want to do this for you. I do not think that you're making an unreasonable request. I don't think that what you're asking for is something that I shouldn't provide. I'm just trying to find a way around ending up getting called before the Ohio State Medical Board for doing unnecessary care, medical care that can't be justified because we don't get the typical outcome. And for sure, anybody who's paying for this is going to say that it was unreasonable and that may be a black mark against us. You have Medicare and we may have trouble doing surgery for people with Medicare. And we were chatting and I said that I, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I think that this is going to be one of the most necessary surgeries that I'll ever do. And, and we'll figure it out. So we did all of our measurements. We did the best we could to get axial length and gut case, got everything we needed, did the consent, told her that there was a very small chance that things could go terribly wrong and she would have the exact opposite. She wouldn't be able to see anything and that everybody was on board. Got her scheduled, decided to do her surgery at a particular surgery center, even though both of the surgery centers where I operate are hospital outpatient departments or HOPDs. One of them has a unique management structure where there's a little bit more flexibility. And we scheduled her for three days after the visit, which is really, really quick. It's a very quick turnaround. We were going to use a lens that was in the inventory. I called up the surgery center, talked to the director, and told her that I wasn't going to charge anything for this patient. I wasn't going to bill the surgery. I was going to send it in as something that I did because you're supposed to do that, but I wasn't going to bill. I wasn't going to ask for any reimbursement and just wanted to let them know what the circumstances were because I was also concerned about them participating in unnecessary care. We got to the operating room. The surgery went beautifully, really not very interesting from a technical standpoint whatsoever. She was in her mid-60s. It wasn't a terrifically hard nucleus. The PSC peeled off just as easy as pie with the IA. Sent her home. I'd set her at, we aimed for like minus one, minus one and a quarter, so that she'd have good intermediate vision. This is before we had any extended depth of focus lenses. This was pre-Envista, pre-Ihance. And I put in an LI-61, nice big optic. And she came in the next day. She was 20-20 with a minus one and a quarter and thrilled. 
I gave in. <laughs> we all cried and sent her home and did not give her a follow-up appointment. I said to her, I can't in good conscience ask you to come back now. I can't take another day from you. You know, good luck. And to the daughters, let us know how things go. I got a, a phone call from the daughters and they had received a notice from the surgery center that they had not submitted billing for the procedure. And then we heard back through our billing office that the anesthesiologist, with whom I had not even spoken, did not send in and ask for reimbursement for the procedure. From a technical standpoint, essentially that took the whole financial thing off the table. There was no financial incentive for us to do this. We had all, without really meaning to, or maybe meaning to, we had all removed any possible accusations that we were doing this for monetary reasons because we didn't ask for payment. The surgery center didn't, anesthesia didn't, I certainly didn't. So about two weeks later, we got a call from the daughters and, oh, ah, it's uh, been a long time. And I, uh, I, I, I still get a little catch in my throat. She passed away 10 days after the surgery and Antoinette was surrounded by her family. She said many times every day how wonderful it was to see everybody, greeted people when they walked through the door because she could see them. She knew who they were. The family was able to see her smile when she came in. And thankfully, through the wonders and beauty of hospice care, these are angels, she passed very, very quietly and peacefully. So that's my confession. I have indeed provided care that many that work in our world would consider unnecessary care. I provided the service that would have been rejected by Medicare and the secondary insurance as not medically necessary care, given the fact that everywhere else in her record, she was in comfort-only, end-of-life care. When I think back, I'm actually a little bit surprised and a tiny bit ashamed of myself that it took me so long to come to the right decision, that it was the right thing to do. I think it's emblematic of how intimidated we all are. And for those few of you who listen to this, if any of you know me, I'm not an easily intimidated human being. But we are indeed all fearful of those forces that might declare something that we did unnecessary and therefore tar us with that label. But I may never have done a more necessary case. I've done very impactful surgery over the course of my lifetime. There are probably cases that were as important, as unique, and as special. But I don't know if I've ever done a more special or more impactful case. And rest assured that the hug that Lenore and I shared at the end was incredibly meaningful and necessary. So that's my case of unnecessary care. I'm Daryl White. This is I Care Out Loud. I hope you'll visit with us sometime again.